Welcome to the weekly broadcast from Zion Church of Curtin. We are located at 977 North FM 2038. It is our honor to share with you the good news of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ revealed in and through God's holy word. But there's a dilemma. So here's the reality. Although I have an intellect, I'm emotional, there is a spiritual side to the emotions. It says with the heart we believe, but we're going to end with that. So uh, that's in Romans. In chapter 5, you go to chapter 10 all the way, it talks about the role of the heart, our emotions, and our faith. But the goal for you and I should be spiritual growth. Three years now, here, so I've been able to measure. Where were we three years ago spiritually as a church? Now, you can do this with anything. I use football coaches. You should first do this with yourself. You should be honest enough, the Scripture says examine yourself. You should first say, so who is Aubrey feeding? Am I feeding more my intellect, my flesh, my emotions, or my spirit? Because we're going to feed all four. We just are. But which one is growing? Which one is being fed the most? Ask yourself. In marriage counseling, I'll go with a husband and wife, and this is the premise of that. You ask the husband and wife, so is your husband more spiritual, intellectual, uh, physical, or emotional? And then the question, and, there, and, and I would have to say 99% of the time, they're right. They are. The ones that we're married to would should be say, yeah, that person is more spiritual. You know, maybe they're 70% spiritual, 50% physical. Or, you know, I'm just, there's a range here. So ask yourself. But now you can do this with anything. You can do this with your work. The place you work. Is it a, is it a physical place, emotional place, an intellectual place, or a spiritual place? You can do it with the church. There are churches that... Uh, you look at the Pharisees, but there are churches that have a great physical presence about them. There are churches that are very emotional. There are churches that uh, are very intellectual. And then the goal, the church you want to be at, is a spiritual church. And it doesn't take long. I did an assessment of this church three years ago. I've done an assessment recently as I assess myself. What is the character of that church? Is it more spiritual, physical, intellectual, or emotional? Leadership. Marriage. You can do it with a nation. When I was getting taught this at Abilene Christian University, uh, they had brought out a 20-year study. Uh, no, yeah, no, it was a 10-year study at that time, 1985 to 1995. And they said, America. What is America feeding? And they based it upon uh, gross, the, the actual net profit, net profit of the fastest growing industries in our country. And it was, it, it was, it was a, in a 10-year span. Now, there were others that may have amassed gross more money, but net and profit. The three fastest net profit growing industries in America wasn't even close was the food industry was number three. Food. And you know, I, you, I've seen that. Man, we just got more restaurants everywhere. On top, stacked everywhere. There's restaurants everywhere. Uh, the second was cosmetic surgery. 
cosmetic surgery, the money that people would pay for cosmetic surgery, that growth in that 10-year span, was, it was almost like a 500% growth. You know what number one was? Pornography. What is America as a country feeding? Our flesh. Japan feeds their intellect at that time. 11 uh, engineers for every attorney. In America, it was eight attorneys for every engineer. That same time span. You can do it with the country. So here's my question then. If, if you believe what Scripture teaches about this, if you're concerned about where you're heading uh, as a Christian, what, what those passages we just read and the goal of those passages for you and I to look at them, examine them, and do a spiritual assessment. So the question is then, and I think we would all agree, that what we would want to do is feed our spirit. Out of everything that we're feeding, we want to feed our spirit. We want, we want our spirit to grow. My goal for myself, uh, this church, my marriage, is I want to see a spiritual growth. A spiritual growth. So here's the question. I've been doing this for 20 years. Nobody's ever given me, I've gotten the answer, I'd say, this answer, close to 100%. And it's the wrong answer. But I understand it. I would have answered it the same way. So how do I grow my spirit? Well, here's the answers. I'm just going to do it for you. you you'll go right. Well, uh, read your word. Read the Bible. Yep. Pray. That would be good. Pray. Worship God. Yeah, we'll go to church. Pray, read my Bible. So I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm church going, and have fellowship with other like-minded people. Those are the top four answers. And they're the top 100% wrong answers. Do you know who the most praying, Bible-reading, Bible-knowing, church-attending, fellowship with no others but those like-minded people were? They were the people that killed Jesus Christ. They were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Churches are full of intellectual, physically motivated, and emotional people. Preachers are that way too. Who under the guise of religion are feeding something, but it's not the spirit, and it's based upon what they believe. Now, let me tell you something. When you're feeding your spirit, that's when worship matters to God. When you're feeding your spirit, that's when the word of God changes. Paul wrote to the Romans, spiritual things are spiritually known. So as you feed your spirit, you, you want to worship. You can't help but worship. These kids, we've been talking about gifts uh, the last two weeks, the kids. And I had asked Nicole to sing that song uh, a couple of weeks ago. She had to learn it. And she you know, talked about gift, is this gift from God. And she shared that gift with us. You know, that, that, you want that. If you're spiritual, you just clamor. You desire the worship. You don't have to go to worship because you think it's the right thing to do. You go because you can't do anything else. You read the word because you clamor for it. You ever been, and this was that great discussion that I had with Ken Lane. He said, you know, when you start working out and you, start, and you really get into that pattern of working out and then, you, and then you quit, you just feel guilty. You know, but then after a while, you, you know, the pie is better than working out. But, but worship, as we're growing our spirit, 
you couldn't keep away from this building. It wouldn't be a choice or something that you think you should do. Reading your scripture, praying. Spiritual people don't pray out of obligation. Spiritual people pray out of a great spiritual hunger. So how do I feed my spirit? Second Chronicles 20. My favorite story in the whole Old Testament. You, I want you to leave here after year three with us and beginning a new year, ending this year. I, I just, this is, I love what you did, Di. I'm going to color this. I'm going to keep it on my desk. But these principles right here that we're going to read, these are life-changing. These are the great biblical truths that run Genesis through Revelation, and it's so beautifully done in this moment in the children of Israel's life. 2 Chronicles 20, beginning of verse 1. This would be a great gift for your children right here. Great gift for your marriage. Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Munites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. There's only two, there's just Benjamin and Judah, the southern kingdoms, left. Israel has already been taken captive. This, the days of David and Solomon are long gone. Judah's a very weak nation now. And they shouldn't have been, but they were. So these people, the Ammonites, Munites, Moabites, they came to make war against Jehoshaphat. And then some came and reported Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you. From beyond the sea out of Aram, and behold, they're in Hazanon, Hazanon, that is in Gedi. And uh, Hazanon Tamar, that is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was afraid. You ever been afraid? You mean really afraid? Where does it come from? It doesn't come from a spirit-led life. A spirit-led life says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. A spirit-led life, Paul is a prisoner. He's a Roman prisoner. His life is at rest. He said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living, I'll serve him. If I die, how much better? I'll, go, I'll just get to go be with him. A spirit-led life and fed life says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Because you know God cares for you. Sermon on the Mount. But he was afraid. Something was being fed in Judah, but it wasn't the Spirit of God. And Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord. And that's the only thing good about fear. That's really the only good thing about fear. It'll, it, it'll turn our attention to the Lord and, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So we're going to get religious now. Let's get religious. <laughs> Maybe we can do something religious and things will work out. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. Amen. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. They're afraid. Now they're looking for help. Now they're seeking the Lord. How many times have you done that in your life? But it's only temporary. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and he said, he prayed, he prayed. Everybody's going to church now. They're going to church now. They got an enemy bigger than them. They're scared now. 
They ain't going to the golf course now. They ain't going to the lake now. They scared. And he prayed. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, art thou not God in the heavens? And art thou not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nation? Power and might are in thy hands so that no one can stand against thee. Sounds a lot like the Lord's Prayer, doesn't it? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And praising him in prayer. Didst thou not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel? And give it to the descendants of Abraham, thy friend, forever? And they lived in it and have built the sanctuary there for their name, saying, Should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we'll stand before this house and before thee, for thy name is in this house, and cry to thee in our distress, and thou will hear and deliver us. He's given God a history lesson. And we do that sometimes with our prayers. And now, behold, and now, God, and now, I guess we can't trust you, God. This is what he's saying. And now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and, and, and Mount Seir, whom thou didst not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt. They, t- parentheses, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. Let me tell you what's wrong with all of our arguments about God. If you've ever de- determined that you have an argument between God, your history is wrong. Their history was wrong. Oh, they were able to. They, 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 they chose not to fulfill the commandment of God to go into that land that, and to utterly, utterly, they didn't. But isn't that funny? We can change what the Bible says based upon our circumstances. He's doing it in a prayer. He is. Starts off pretty good, then shows the weakness of his flesh. And then, but listen to this. Behold how they're rewarding us by coming to drive us out of, from thy presence, which thou hast given us as an inheritance. Oh, woe is me. I'm so afraid and I'm scared. And God, I don't know if I can trust your word. After all, we couldn't do that. You ever prayed like that? Because I have. And here it is. This is the great biblical truth. The foundation of spiritual growth. Oh, our God, will thou not judge them? You ought to highlight this in your book. You ought to read this every week. Maybe every day. Hmm. Oh, our God, will thou not judge them? For we're powerless against this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on thee. And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Their biblical history is murky. They think that because they've been religious enough to worship and build a sanctuary. We built you a sanctuary, God. How, how could you? We built you a sanctuary. We couldn't do what you asked us to do. It's pathetic. I've been pathetic. I've done the same thing. Marriage is in trouble. Finances are weak. Family's falling apart. Children struggling with something. God, I, I, I've given you everything, man. I've read, I, I, I'm here. What do you, listen, I don't understand what's going on. I'm just, there's a lot of fear right now. What's going to happen here? I mean, I, I, I don't understand. I, I, and what I'm doing is dis, 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 discarding a mountain of Scripture that says to me, find it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Because God's doing something. But my flesh is weak. 
But in that moment, something happens. Verse 14. In that moment when he says we're powerless, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In the midst of all my weakness and my lack of biblical truth, and in praising how obedient I am, a great biblical truth comes out. And then something happens. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord. When did the Spirit show up? He's always there. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, listen all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, it's God's. Let me tell you how you feed your spirit, church. There's only one thing that God wants from you and I. And it's not the obedience that comes from your power, your intellect, your ability. He wants us to be powerless. Satan wants you to live in your power. We just read the passage. Corey read it right there. Second Corinthians said God gave Paul a messenger from Satan to buffet his flesh. He prayed three times, the great apostle Paul. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in your weakness. Satan wants you, wants me, wants a church, a marriage to live in their own power. I did this. I created this. I built this. I'm smart enough. I'm gifted, talented enough. I did this. You know, the three sins that are listed in Scripture, we did a great thing for our kids. It's the sin of our flesh. It's the sin of our eyes and desires. But the worst and most powerful sin that affects us is the sin of pride. And Satan tried to tempt Jesus on all three of those. He tried to appeal to his pride, his weakness, his eyes, his flesh. And he does the same thing with you and I, and our flesh is so willing. It's weak. Weakly willing. Willing, weak. But it wants, you, when's the last thing? When do you really turn to God? When you've been stripped of your pride and all your power is gone. Dear Lord God Almighty, have mercy on me. That's when you feed your spirit. That's when the word of God becomes alive. That's when the prayer has meaning. Worship pours out of you. But boy, old Satan wants you to ruin your flesh, wants to walk in your power. He wants you to live in stress. We, you know, the greatest moments of spiritual growth in my life, in a church's life, is when you just give it up. It's not my problem. It's your battle, God. I'm not strong enough for this battle. I can't save my marriage. I can't fix my children. I can't pay the bills. I can't overcome the disease. But you can. You can. Spiritual principle number one. Just be powerless before God. How many of you are trying to control your marriage? Fix somebody. Control a church. God let you operate in your power. He's a gentleman. Satan will encourage you to live in your power. Second thing, we don't know what to do. 
It's part of the power syndrome. We don't know what to do. The greatest spiritual growth I've ever experienced or seen experienced in a church or myself personally in ministry and life is when I come, when I, I don't know what to do, but he does. My favorite verse in the entire Bible is I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. In that first chapter of Corinthians, first Corinthians, he said, the knowledge of man is foolishness to God. It's foolish. The message of the cross is foolish to men. Do you realize that? This is the message of the cross to intellectual men who puff themselves up with their intellect. Huh. It's foolishness to God. And the cross is foolish to men. It says the Gentiles think it's foolish and the Jews, the religious people, they said it was a scandal. Do you believe that? That God's own people said the message of the cross was a scandal. That You mean a poor carpenter's boy from Bethlehem and Galilee? Became the son of God? Huh. He's going to die for our sins? And all of my obedience to the word of the God is not going to be enough? Now I'm going to challenge you. Everything that's going on in your life right now, your marriage, your children, your business, your life, start thinking about it in terms of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Husbands, you want to love your wife the way Christ loves the church? Instead of seeing your wife as a physical object of intimacy or a partner or whatever it is you want to believe or think about your wife, maybe it's in bitterness, think of her in terms of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Think of your work, your skills, your gifts, your abilities, raising your children. Raising your children, that precious gift from God. Think of that child in terms of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. As much as you love that child, as much as you cherish that child, as much as you adore that child, you never and never will love your child as much as the Savior on the cross. You're limited to what you can do for your child. He's not. So, I'm powerless. I don't know what to do, but He does. And here's the final step in spiritual growth. But our eyes are on you. The Bible says the desires of the eyes cannot be fulfilled. You know the problem with all these children here? All these children here? And all these children here? Go in a restaurant. Let's see what people are looking at. How addictive is it? What are your eyes on? Are your eyes on pornography? Are your eyes on other people? What do, I don't know. I have to struggle with my own eyes. When Jesus talked about adultery, he said, adultery is not even a flesh thing. If you look at another woman with lust, you've committed adultery. It goes for women too. What are your eyes on? The spirit is willing, but the, weak, the flesh is weak. Now measure yourself. Are you operating in your power, your knowledge, and what, but our eyes are on it? What if not only could you see yourself, your marriage, your business, your work, your career, your health, in light of Jesus Christ and crucified? I'm going to talk about revealing your powerlessness because you and I have no power to save ourselves. 
But my mind is trained that way. And now my eyes. My eyes. Satan wants to control everything you look at on the basis of our intellect, our knowledge, and our power. One of my, if you were to read in 2 Corinthians and Paul talks about his own life. He said, man, I've been shipwrecked. I've spent a night and day. He said, I've been stoned. I've been caned. I've been in dangers from countrymen, dangers from rivers, dangers from... I mean, all this list, he's been... Five times he received lashes, 39 lashes. I mean, you know what he concluded with? Above all else, above all else, above all... The, the, I've never been whipped with a cat of nine tails. Once versus five times 39 lashes. Nobody's caned me. Nobody's thrown me in prison for my faith. Nobody, my family hasn't turned on me for my faith. Nobody ridicules me in the community. I haven't been jailed for my faith. But you know what he says? He said, and above all else, there's my daily concern for the church. When Gandhi was asked what he thought about Jesus, he said, I don't, uh, I don't have a problem with your Jesus. It's that bloody thing he drags behind him called the church. If you go to Acts in chapter 6, you see in chapter 2 it says they had everything in common. Chapter 6, they're fighting over which widows are getting fed first. And if you read First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Jesus addressing, first second Thessalonians, Jesus addressing the seven churches in Asia Minor. The church is a mess. It's a mess. The, the goal of Jesus Christ, as he gives you and I the gift of the Holy Spirit, is for you and I to grow spiritually. And you and I will only grow spiritually as a church when we quit operating in my power. My pride. You want to fix your marriage? Quit operating in your, your, your power. When this church or any church gives up their intellect and the only knowledge of anything that they would do is based upon Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then when all of us, our eyes, are on Him. Jesus' final words on the cross as he looked out at the crowd, this is the way he sees. This is what he sees. They've spit on him. They've beaten him. They've cursed him. They're mocking him. He could save others, but he can't save himself. His eyes, this is what his power said. This is what his intellect said. And this is what his eyes saw. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. What a vision. What a mind. What a power. There was a Roman centurion. Powerful man. Strong enough to drive nails into the wrist of a convicted criminal. Strong enough to lift a cross and watch it thump. Smart enough to know what his duty was. 
and had seen a level of cruelty that most of us would never envision. And at that moment, he said, surely this man was a son of God. Wow. For the first time, he saw power. More powerful than any Caesar that had ever reigned. For the first time, his knowledge expanded to a level that he couldn't even understand. And for the first time, he had eyes that were looking at the Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my prayer, first, Father, I want to say thank you for allowing Tammy and I to serve here these three years. Thank you so much. I want to pray for myself as a pastor and for my wife and our marriage and this congregation, the mothers, the fathers, the wives, the children the infants. I want to pray that as we move into a new year, Father, we finish this year, that our hearts are determined to be powerless and trust only in your power. That we will clear our minds and live in the area that I don't know what to do, Father, but I know you do. And then finally, Father, as the writer of Hebrews says, fix our eyes on your Son, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. That's why I pray that we walk in your power and your knowledge with your vision, so clearly seen on the cross of your Son. And it's his, in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to us. And please feel free to join us for Sunday school from 9 to 9.45 a.m. with worship service following at 10 a.m. Please visit our website at www.curtainchurch.org. Curtain is spelled K-U-R-T-E-N.